Morning, everyone. A little audience participation maybe this morning. If you know the name Mary Blair, raise your hand. Anybody know the name Mary Blair? Probably not. But I bet you've probably seen her handiwork. I bet you've probably maybe experienced firsthand her artistry, her skill that she has in illustration and design. If you've ever written It's a Small World, you know who Mary Blair is. She is the one who designed and, and drew all of the intricate figures, all the pieces behind the scenes there in, in Disneyland. When you go and you ride that ride, you see her handiwork there in that ride, all the, the design that she put in. Our family, we love behind-the-scenes documentaries. If you're anything like me, maybe you like those how-it's-made kind of shows or the, the making-of kind of shows. And, and we were recently watching this behind-the-scenes documentary of the making of It's a Small World and how really it was a challenge at the 64-65 World's Fair in New York. Walt Disney was basically challenged to bring a fourth ride, a fourth attraction that he hadn't planned on bringing out there. And in nine months, they went from concept to execution for what is essentially It's a Small World, the ride. And they tapped Mary Blair to come in and draw all the, the intricate details of that ride. And if you've ever ridden it, you know how, how detailed that ride is, how, how much work was put into that. And they did it in nine months. And I love to watch people who are at the top of their field, at the top of their craft, skilled people, whether it's musicians, athletes, artists, chefs, anyone who, who's operating at a high level of skill. I love to watch people like that do what they do best. Maybe you're like that too. You like to watch people who, who really are good at what they do and watch them just work and what they, what they put into their, to their art, to their craft. And maybe if you're like me, you wish, well, if I only could buy a, a fancy camera, then I could be a a world-famous photographer, or, or maybe I'll buy a fancy pen and I'll become a great writer. It doesn't work like that. We know that in order to become the top of our, of our skill, to become the top of our craft, skilled people, that we've got to put the time in. We have to put the energy and the effort in. I mean, I can just talk to Sherilyn. She will tell you all about the projects I've started and then I've stopped because I didn't I didn't see myself advancing or progressing as quickly as I wanted to. You know, I, I picked, up the, picked up the guitar, the banjo, and I played it for a little while, and, and I wasn't, you know, some Woody Guthrie or some, you know, folk artist, and, and I just kind of gave up because I wasn't progressing as I wanted to. You all know what it's like to want to be able to do something and do it now. You know what happens when you get discouraged when you can't do that. You may not have heard of Mary Blair, but I bet you've heard of two men in the Old Testament who were even more skilled than Mary Blair herself. And that, as I'm sure you all know, 
is Bezalel and Aholiab, right? We all know Bezalel and Aholiab. We study about them in our Bible classes. When were we little lads and lasses? No? Let's go. Uh, let's, look at Ecclesi- or, let's look at Exodus chapter 31, pardon me. Exodus 31. I want to set up this lesson by looking at these skilled artisans who did not have to invest years and years into their craft. In fact, they received the skill to be able to do something for the Lord, artistic skill. They received it like that. And I want to be these two men, honestly. Let's read about them in Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, back up the context, this is God's word to Moses on Sinai. He's giving him all the instructions about how to build the tabernacle, all the implements that they're supposed to build, the worship that he wants them to to take on, everything that God is giving to Moses. This is, he takes a, a second here to mention these two men. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones, for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments of Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Bezalel and Aholiab were filled with the Spirit of God and given the skill, given all the knowledge they needed to be able to do all of the craftsmanship for the tabernacle of the Lord. Whether that was woodworking, making all of the metal implements, all the design, even down to weaving all of the garments, they now because God had filled him with his spirit, they now knew how to do those things. Imagine picking up a guitar, never having touched a guitar before, and instantly being able to play the guitar like the best guitarist that's ever walked the face of the earth. That would be amazing. And I love this story because of all of the, of all the work that God was giving them to do, God singled out two men to be able to do this. Bezalel and Aholiab, names that hopefully you'll remember after this lesson. Let's go to Exodus then chapter 35, because this is what happens when they actually take on the task of building. In Exodus 35 verse 30, basically this is just a rehash of what we just read, but Moses then turns to all the people and says, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. And then he goes on to talk about all the things that he had given them the skill to do, and he mentions Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, as well there. And so there at the end, he's telling all the people, 
Here are the two men that God has filled with his spirit and given them skill. Look at verse 30, or verse 1 of chapter 36. Then this is when they begin taking on the job. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from his own task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command, and word proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. We give the children of Israel a really hard time sometimes, and don't I see myself in their failings so often. But this is a very positive, uplifting time for the children of Israel, isn't it? They're listening to God. They're empowered by God, filled with his spirit to do the work. And they are contributing more than they need. Imagine, we just had our contribution here a second ago. Imagine if the elders got up and they said, we're going to cancel the contribution because we have way more than we ever need. Right? Can you imagine that happening? That's what happened back here. Moses had to stand up and said, we have so much. We can't even handle it anymore. And oh, by the way, we have two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, who are filled with the Spirit of God, and they are skilled in doing the work, and they're getting to work. And they're pulling in everyone else to do the work as well. This is a very positive, encouraging, upbuilding time for the children of Israel as they build the house of God. What on earth is this lesson about? This word that we've read a number of times, and I want you to take note of it, is the word skill. We've been talking about skill and how they had skill because of God's spirit that dwelt within them. This word skill is translated seven times in the Old Testament as the word skill in the Hebrew. Translated seven times, and most of them are in these readings. 139 other times in the Old Testament, this word is translated as wisdom. Wisdom. 139 times when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's talking about skill. I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I will hear a word said over and over and over again, and I'll, I'll think about that word a lot, and, and it kind of loses its meaning. I start to, start to view that word as kind of just a word, or I, I'm not thinking about it. Like when I think about wisdom, I don't know if you're like me, but I think of like a, an old man sitting on top of a hill on a cushion with a big long white beard stroking his beard. You know, that's wisdom to me. But do you think of wisdom as skill? Because that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about skill. And in fact, this same word is the word used in the book of Proverbs in chapter 4 as the wisest man who ever walked the face of the earth save Jesus Christ himself talked about wisdom, the wisdom with which he was blessed by God to have. He talked about wisdom, and he said in, in Proverbs 4, verse 5, get wisdom, get insight, 
Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. And thinking about that, we understand how important wisdom is. But I want you this morning to think about wisdom in terms of skill. Get skill. Be good at whatever it is that you are doing for the Lord. Be good at it. Be skillful at it. And that is what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is all about being skillful. And so what I want to talk about this morning is being skillful in the way that we build the Lord's house today. We look back in Exodus about how they were building this tabernacle, skillfully building the tabernacle as they were, they were filled with the Spirit. I want to talk about building the Lord's house today with skill. Building the Lord's house today with wisdom. Walking in this world, walking in this dark and evil place that we live with wisdom, with skill. And we may not be zapped as Bezalel and Aholiab were, suddenly with wisdom and suddenly with skill. But I think we see a connection as we study in the New Testament about being filled with the Spirit and having wisdom. Let's go and look together at Ephesians chapter 5, because I think Paul makes this point very clearly. There is a direct connection, even in the New Testament, even for us today, between being filled with the Spirit of God and having wisdom or having skill. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart with you, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to focus on those first few verses there, though. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Or could I rephrase that? Not as unskilled but as skillful. I want you to be skilled in the way that you walk, Paul says. I want you to be careful in that. Walk in this world with skill. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You know that the days are evil, right? You look around you, even today, and you know that, that the days are evil. We're running out of time to do good work on this, on, in this world that we live in. And then he says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. Again, the opposite of wisdom, the opposite of skillfulness. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't think Paul is just standing on his soapbox for a second talking about being drunk. I think in the context of what he's saying, he's wanting us to be sober-minded. And that fits with everything that we've been talking about so far, right? Be skillful, be wise. Don't be foolish. We're running out of time. Think clearly. Be sober-minded. And the connection here, I think, is, is clear between wisdom as we walk in wisdom, walking in skill, and being filled with the Spirit. When the Word of God 
dwells within our hearts richly. And if you want to really understand what being filled with the Spirit is, go back and watch Sean's lesson about the Holy Spirit. Talking about being filled with the Spirit, it's not that somehow we've magically been zapped by some, some creator or some great power to be able to do some amazing thing. Being filled with the Spirit is to have his word in our heart, to be thinking about it, to be considering it, to allow it to change our lives, to change our mind and our, our actions. And as God's word is full in our heart, as we are sober-minded, as we're not living foolishly in this world, we will be careful, skillful, to walk with wisdom in this world. And that's what I want us to think about every day. That's what I want to think about us to think about today. Being filled with the Spirit of God and being wise. Being wise builders. And what are we building? Well, go back a few pages here, Ephesians chapter 2. What are we building? We're not building the tabernacle. Back there, the Zalel and Aholiab, they were building out of wood and gold and all kinds of linen and everything that they were using to build. What are we building and what are our raw materials? In verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God on this earth back in the time when it was built. Obviously, the tabernacle could not contain the Lord God, but it was where his presence was. Where is God's presence today? It's in the church. It's in you. It's in me. The Lord's presence is, is right here. And what are we building today? We're building his church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Christ being the cornerstone, we are we're the raw materials. Our lives are being knit together, are being mortared together into a dwelling place of the Lord. And that's what we're building. And my question for you, and the question I'm asking myself today is, am I a skillful church builder? Am I building with wisdom? Am I building the Lord's house with skill? You know what it's like to watch somebody who has no skill. If you want to watch somebody with no skill, just come over and I'll try to play the piano for you. I'm terrible at it. And then, you know, we can, we can try to coax my wife to sit down and play the piano, and she'll, she'll just blow the doors off the house with how awesome she plays. You watch somebody who has skill at something, and you know they're, they're a master of their craft. You watch somebody without the skill, and you say, I, I really don't want to watch this anymore, now do I? And the question for us all is, are, are we building the Lord's house with skill? This is one of the most important works that anyone can ever undertake in all of the earth is to build the Lord's house. And are we doing it skillfully? And so we need to build the Lord's house with our lives. Our lives have to be dedicated to the craft of building this church, building his church. And how do we do that? How do we do that? 
Well, I would, I would suggest that a great place to start in thinking about how we do that is Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Paul is really, he's talking about his own ministry, and then he turns to talking about the church at Colossae. And I think this is an important place for us to go in, in understanding what our role is in this building, in this project that we're undertaking. He says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me just stop right there. I think this is a great summary, a great place for us to go in, our, in order to understand what our job is. Is building a church the job of the eldership? Yes. Is building the church the job of the preacher? Absolutely. Is building the church the job of the deacons? For sure it is. Is building the church your job? Absolutely. It's every one of our jobs. It's all of our roles. And we see those roles, at least in part, we see those roles here in this verse. Paul, the apostle, is building the church. And then he turns around and he says, I want you to build the church. As he's talking to the entire congregation of the Lord's people. I want you to now build skillfully, like I'm trying to build skillfully. Notice what he says here. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, that sober-minded eyes wide open kind of watchfulness with thanksgiving. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And that's why he's in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Thinking about what he's talking about here, he's saying, I want you to pray for me so that I can do the best possible skillful work in building the church that I can. And then he turns it around. Now you, in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of your time. And then he talks about your speech, making sure that it's always gracious, seasoned with salt. And so if you break down this verse, I think we see three things here that can help us hone our skill in church building. This is where we'll really spend the rest of the lesson here. We first see that we need to ask God. It's easy for us to think that we are good enough, that we have enough skill, we have enough ability to do the work of the Lord. Maybe you even think that, oh, I can go on Amazon and buy a, a book telling me all about how to, to, to be the best and most productive Christian I can be. Some tips and tricks for, for being a good church builder. The source of the blueprint is the Lord God himself. It's not in man, it's not in me. Bezalel and Aholiab back in Exodus, they had no idea what the Lord God wanted until God filled them with his spirit and gave them the skill to know how to build exactly how he wanted them to build. We follow his pattern. And so, as Paul asks for the congregation there to pray for him that the work would be fruitful and productive, that a door would be opened, we need to pray to God the same thing. If you want skill, it's going to take time, it's going to take energy, and it is going to take God getting involved. 
And that's why we see Solomon in 1 Kings asking the Lord God for wisdom to rule the Lord's people. That's why he humbly came before the Lord and said, I, I can't do this on my own. I need, I need you. And God gave him that wisdom. We see James in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, powerfully talking about how if any of you lacks wisdom, pray to the Lord and you'll get wisdom. And then he says, make sure that your prayer is a prayer of faith and that it's not full of doubt and questioning. Because anytime we ask the Lord God for anything out of doubt, questioning whether God can do it, he's not going to give it to us. God is the source of wisdom. God is the source of skill. And we may, we may think that we can just get better at it on our own, but if God is not involved, if, if the word of God is not involved, we're not building according to the right pattern. We're not building with the right master as our, as our guide. And so we need to pray for the work. If we want to be good at, at building a skillful builder of the church, we need to be on our knees in prayer. And every one of us should want to be that kind of skillful builder praying to the Lord God to give us the wisdom to know how to build his church. So we ask God, but we also speak clearly, and that's what we see here in Colossians 4. We see that, and I love the language that Paul uses here. He says that he's declaring the mystery of Christ. In verse 4, he says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I don't know, maybe Sean has never felt this way. Anytime I get up and, and speak, I feel like my, my number one job is just to make something clear. Okay, good, you're, you're shaking your head, because you're real good at saying things clearly. I'm, I'm, I like to dance around the, the topic until I finally maybe land on there. I'll listen back to a lesson that I gave. I'm like, where was I going? What was I talking about? And if you've ever tried to talk to somebody in the break room at work about the Lord, if you've ever had a conversation with someone about Jesus, and you just walked away saying, I wasn't as clear as I could have been. I think we've all been there. And what Paul is asking for, even Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Lord, he's asking for clarity. Help me, pray for me to make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That's my job. That's how I ought to speak, is clearly. And that should be our motivation as well, looking to Jesus, who always spoke clearly. Now, interestingly enough, as you go back and study Jesus and the way he taught people, you look at passages like Mark 11, as the Pharisees were asking him a very direct question, what, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus didn't give the clear answer to them, right? He didn't turn around and say, well, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. No, he said, I got a question for you. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Ooh, answering a question with a question, Jesus didn't speak clearly, although he was addressing the real problem, which was the fact that they were trying to trick him. And he knew that. It's why I think Jesus also tells us to, in Matthew 10, verse 16, to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. To speak in this world in a way, to live in this world innocently, but also to understand that the devil is out there. He's out there and he's trying to trick us. He's trying to trap us. And understand that when you... When you go into the world and you try to tell somebody about Jesus, there are going to be people who want to trick you and trap you, who want to prove you wrong. 
We need to understand the devices of Satan. We need to understand what he's going to do to us. And so we need to speak clearly, but we also need to understand that, that sometimes we need to be on guard. We need to be cunning, not with evil motives, but with pure motives. We need to see right through the situation and understand what the wise and skillful words are in any given moment. And sometimes that may be making it absolutely plain and clear. Sometimes that may be asking a question back to someone who might be trying to trick us or trap us. To have skill, to have wisdom in the way that we speak and the things that we say, to speak clearly, though, that should be our goal. And we see that with Jesus. Not everybody understood what Jesus was talking about, but those people who were spiritually minded saw right through what Jesus was trying to say. And they saw to the deep meaning that he was imparting to them. And so we ask God, we pray to the Lord for direction, we speak clearly, but then finally here in Colossians, we see how our, how our words should be gracious. And I love, I love this conclusion of this little section here. I love how we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, this skillfulness, making the best use of our time. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I think I've talked about the Kool-Aid man here before. If you ever, I, I am the Kool-Aid man in some situations, right? I will bust into somebody's life and just start talking without thinking. And that's not helpful. The bull in a china shop mentality. That's not helpful. That's not skillful. That's not thoughtful. That's not making the best use of the time. Sometimes boldness is important, but boldness needs to always be coupled with thoughtfulness and skill. And so thinking about our words, thinking about our speech as being gracious, seasoned with salt, so that every person that we interact with, we know how to answer them. You understand why this is a skillful thing, why this is, it's not just, I can't give you a, a, a four-part lesson right now on how to be skillful in your speech with everyone. Because every situation is different. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Every person is going to require a different answer. Not an unscriptural answer, but a different answer. And you see that with Paul. How the Apostle Paul tailored his message, tailored his approach to who he was speaking to. Always teaching the truth, of course. Colossians 3, if you back up there in, in Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We teach and admonish with wisdom. We're not trying to go out into the world and win an argument. That's not our goal. Our goal isn't try to go out into the world and beat people down with our words, to tear people down, to destroy people's lives with what we say. We're not trying to go on to some forum on the internet and just make sure everybody understands we are the only person who's right and we know everything. That's not our job. Our job is to be gracious. Our job is to speak truth in love. And if love is not behind the truth that we speak, then we're not being gracious. We're not following Jesus' example. We're not living like Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. We're not living with the fear of the Lord in mind as we go out into the world and, and try to persuade men to come to God before it's too late. 
We love people. We bless people with the things that we say, and we choose our words carefully. We're talking about being skillful. And we've really focused a lot on words and what we say, because I think that's, that's our biggest tool. As skillful builders of the church, one of our biggest tools is what we say and, uh, and the words that we use. We can try to be good examples for people. We can try to let people see our light by the way that we live, and we should do that, absolutely. But we have to get out there and speak. In order to build the church, in order to encourage a brother, we got to get out there and speak. In order to influence someone to come to the Lord for the first time, we have to get out there and speak. You may never heard of Bezalel and Aholiab. You may never heard of Mary Blair before. But those people pale in comparison to the job that you are given to do today. You are building a house for the Lord. Are you a skillful builder? Am I a skillful builder? And I hope we are. I have known some very skillful builders over the years, people who, who were very productive in the work of the Lord. And understand that, that when you build the Lord's house, the Lord is very happy with that. Because that means more people are being saved. That means more people are coming to know Jesus. And if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with him, let's talk. Let's talk. Talk to me. Talk to Sean. Talk to anybody. Talk to us. Because we want to share with you why we became children of the Lord's. We want to share with you why you need to become a child of God's. Without him, we're lost. Without him, we have no hope. So if you're ready to give your life to the Lord this morning, please, please do that before it's too late. If we can help you in your spiritual needs this morning to pray for you in any way, please come forward as we stand and sing.